Welcome to episode 109 of the Half Point for Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and producer Johnny Pham. You know, guys, I just had a first uh, coming into this podcast. I still had the the window on my browser opened up with, with the live stream on YouTube because I just tweeted out the link. Mm-hmm. And then so that intro music started playing at the same time as the intro music on StreamYard. I, I thought I was having a stroke. So I'm glad to have made it to the beginning of the show. And I'm very much looking forward to this one. How are you guys doing tonight? I am doing great. I survived the great Kansas City storm that was last Friday. Yes. Uh, I was actually, I drove to the lake in it. And I'm glad that I am a survivor of that storm. Wow. Don't want to lake goer, eh? Wow. Tell us more about it. How's the trip? How's the weather there? No, I don't think I will. Oh, okay. Good talk. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Johnny, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Happy to be here. I feel like this is going to be a, a good pod. Weather is nice outside. Minus like hail an hour ago, but now it's sunny. That's, uh, that's the Colorado weather here. Yeah, yeah. We uh, I, I was venting to you guys about the weather yesterday. Um, the, the lovely weather app saying there was no chance of rain and me hearing hail hitting my, my office roof and looking outside and seeing it yesterday was, was not, not a lot of fun. See, I just don't trust the Apple weather app anymore. I have like yeah. three different apps. I was like, okay, AccuWeather and the Weather Channel is completely different from the Apple weather. Yep. It's, it's a whole thing. I'm, I'll have to go divulge more. Yeah, well, you know, that, that KC storm, Dalton, was, was the real deal. I mean, I'm sure... Uh, some people who are listening to this have seen, or maybe they haven't. Uh, Jeff Passan, uh, ESPN Zone, broke his back because uh, he was outside cleaning, and a tree that was, I think, damaged uh, just fell on top of him, or, or something like that. And uh, did you have like any funnel clouds or anything near your area? We had a funnel cloud form like 0.2 miles from our house. Never touched down, but was in the sky, very close to us. Um, I didn't get hit by a tree, but multiple times driving out of Kansas City, I had to get out into the road and move tree branches out of the way of the car to continue driving. <laughs> and you just were like, yeah, I'm just going to keep driving on, on this road right now? Well, the storm was moving east, and the lake I was going to was east. So the two options were drive into the storm or try to eventually get out of the storm, and then and we eventually got out of the storm. You know, there, there's two things that you're not going to stop. Dalton from doing Johnny. That's going to the lake and drinking white claws. Yep. Yep. I, <laughs> and I, I go ahead, Dalton. Finish finish the sentence. Drafting Deontay Johnson in the year 2023 of our Lord and Savior. And that that is a good transition. Not really, but it is at least a transition into what this show is actually about today. We've got obviously player props uh coming at you. We have a couple of breaking news items off the top that we'll discuss. And then uh, kind of the main event today, we're talking training camp storylines. Dalton's got the NFC. I've got the AFC. We've, we've both brought uh, a handful-ish of, of things we're kind of looking out for, some storylines we think you should be following. And also, at least in my case, and Dalton probably a little bit um, for you, I'm assuming too, how you should be following them, like what kind of things you should be looking out for um, in all of these different instances. But where we're going to start is – Finally, one of the old guys actually signed with the team between our last podcast and this one. 
None of the running backs, they're all still out there. Learn Fournette is still trying out for somebody somewhere today. Was it the Patriots, I, I think? It was the Patriots. So, it was Fournette and Daryl Henderson in the list of retries. Ah, yeah, that's right. So so maybe uh, maybe the Patriots will have themselves uh, a new running back uh, by the time this podcast is in your feeds. And that is definitely uh, a storyline that I won't mention later, but one to follow is just the backup running back carousel is still very much going to be churning. But DeAndre Hopkins, Dalton. A two-year deal worth $26 million. I think with incentives, it's like worth up to $32 million or something like that, really. But we finally have the destination. It is the Tennessee Titans. This at least leads me to believe that this is probably Ryan Tannehill's team all season this year, unless something goes horribly wrong. But what, in your mind, is the fantasy fallout for DeAndre Hopkins, and then the others that we care about in in Tennessee. Probably not as much Derrick Henry. I think that that pretty much stays the same for the most part, maybe a little bit less pass-catching upside. But Traylon Burks and Shiga Conquo, and then to a lesser extent, Kyle Phillips. How are all these things affected by this signing? Well, first of all, this is one of those times where teams try to win when they shouldn't be. And the Tennessee Titans should just realize they suck and suck for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they can't suck because Vrabel is just too good. But they are correct. nine wins, probably eight wins. You know, eight to ten wins. That's where they're going to be at a first round out. And I think the biggest impact here is going to be Traylon Burks. Mm-hmm. Like the entire narrative for him being where he was at, which is like wide receiver thirty five on underdog, was who else is going to get all the targets? Uh, and now we have an answer for that, and it's a player who, even late in his career, is significantly better than what we saw from Traylon Burks last season. Uh, he wasn't able to have a commanding target share throughout his healthy games, despite there being really no one else on this roster to out-target him. I'm not as concerned about Chigakonkro. I think that he's going to do fine, uh, in part because he was good last year on a very efficient edge, and there's still room for him to get more targets. Uh, maybe a slight decrease in Derrick Henry's career high 33 targets last season. Um, yeah, and then maybe be... like if if people had aspirations for Tajay Sharp or Tajay Sharps that past Tennessee Titans, yes. Taj, Tajay Spears carving out a, a passing game role. Maybe he still can, but there's just less to to go around now. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it does hurt all the pass catchers. I'm certainly I wasn't taking Traylon Burks where he was going, and I'm not taking him wherever he drops to but that's more of an issue with his skill. And then with DeAndre Hopkins, I think I had him at wide receiver 25 before he signed. I'm probably keeping him there as like a low wide receiver two, high end wide receiver three. I know a lot of people are going to point to the A.J. Brown early seasons and his success in Tennessee, but he was highly efficient. And I think Hopkins is not an efficient receiver any longer. He's still going to be a high target getter, but there's just not going to be as much volume to go around. So I like him at the low end wide receiver two, high end wide receiver three. Yeah, and I, um, as people know, if they listen to our ranking show, I, I just opted not to rank Hopkins or Dalvin Cook, Kareem Hunt, all of those guys, until they actually got a team. I will probably put Hopkins in that wide receiver 20 to 25 range. It, it'll be somewhere in there. I'll, I'll have to to take a deeper look at that, and we'll we'll talk more rankings again next week with the ranks debate show. So so I'll probably have an update. Um, at that point, but yeah, I, I'm with you that Hopkins, you know, to me, he, he's not quite, he's not quite the same guy he used to be, but he's also like, I don't think he's dropped off a cliff yet either, but you look back 
that wide receiver eight stretch uh, last season once he started playing to when, you know, when he stopped playing, basically when they stopped trying to win uh, down, down the stretch last year was obviously you take that production, but it was volume, volume, volume in a very broken offense with the least creative offensive guru uh, this plant has ever seen and Cliff Kingsbury. I, I think he'll have a very solid year. He'll be good in the intermediate uh, area, good contested catch guy. Like I think Tannehill and him will have a nice connection, but I I, I think wide receiver one days are are over for Hopkins, and really the only chance uh, for him to be close to that in a rank, in my opinion, would have been if he went to the Chiefs. Now I think this twenty to twenty five range is probably about right, and you of course have the downside that. You get the like we didn't n- none of us thought Julio was was done when he got to Tennessee and then he just was now he has been injured more often than Hopkins and injury was a big part of it that year for him too but you at least as a 31 year old on a new team and not a great team you do have some downside that didn't exist with Hopkins in Arizona and may not have existed quite to this extent in in kansas city or if he would have ended up in buffalo maybe i don't know but and then as for burks i do think it affects him too but i'd have to look i'll probably only move him down a couple of spots because it's hard to it's a kind of a crutch argument either way to say oh well he you can say that he's gonna benefit from hopkins taking a number one guy and he can be kind of the the one b in that offense and get lesser coverages and, and get easier looks and things of that nature. Or you can say that he's going to be hurt by a lack of volume. I think it's probably a combination of both, which is why um, I'm moving him down a couple spots. Chig, I think his upside is less than what it was before, but I'm not moving him in my ranks. If that makes any sense, like tight end is just so bad. And he was like tight end 12, 11 for me. So basically just a, you're, back in tight end one i'm still keeping him there because i i still think like you said he's gonna have a nice role and i i think this ends really uh any chance of kyle phillips at least having relevancy in drafts uh this season and then we'll see about the pass catching for the running backs but it definitely doesn't help that so that that's kind of my my takeaway on all that yeah and if there was ever a sliver in your mind that the Tennessee Titans were going to trade Derrick Henry. That is not yeah. completely out the door. Like not, this, they're still trying to win. Not happening unless they have a disaster start to the season. Yes. Uh, the only thing I'm concerned about is the Arizona Cardinals made it pretty clear that the end of the season Hopkins wasn't actually injured and he was just sitting out because they were losing. Yeah. And yeah. that is a possibility with this team as well, in my opinion. 100%. And it's just a little concerning that I do think – you have to factor that in in your decision making. If you're between Hopkins and like somebody else, like Tyler Lockett, I have very similar ADPs in my ranks. I, I'd probably want to just go Tyler Lockett because I mm-hmm. think he's a better player and because yeah. he's not going to sit out if they suck. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next up here, this broke pretty recently before uh, the start of our pod. Brees Hall placed on the PUP list, physically unable to perform because there was some confusion from me. Uh, on what exactly being placed on the PUP means at this point in training camp. I just thought it would be worth mentioning that this does not rule Brees Hall out for week one. 
that determination, I don't have the exact date in front of me, but last year it was August 23rd was when a guy had to be either removed from that list or he was out the first four weeks of the season. So obviously Brees Hall's health is something we'll be monitoring for the next month. And then after that, obviously too, but especially for the next month and hopefully can get off of that, that PUP list by then it's probably not worth talking about the backup options yet. We're, we're still a, a long ways off. I think unless of course, like Dalvin cook goes to the jets, which is at least possible. Yeah, and I'm not too concerned about him being there. Once roster cutdowns start occurring and they're leaving players on PUP, it is a little more concerning because PUP. What do you mean? Did Den- Denzel Mims already getting shown the road today? No, he's actually not cut. I don't know if you saw the report from Schefter. They decided not to cut him, um, and they're still actively looking for trade partners. Well, it's one of those where they're trying to trade him, but if they can't trade him, they're going to cut him, and no one's going to trade for him, so they're going to cut him. But Absolutely. Neither. But he hasn't been shown the door yet. <laughs> neither here nor there. Uh, Evan Ingram signed a three-year, uh, $41.25 million deal. We will talk more about Evan Ingram in just a minute on the props, but real quick before we get to that, uh, you've got the subject of the other guys who were franchise tagged and had that Monday 4 p.m. deadline hanging over their heads. Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, all are remaining on the tag. All are playing under the tag this season, or are they? Tony Pollard, it sounds like he is, and it sounds like that was the plan all along from both sides, um, And which makes sense from Pollard's perspective. This is the first year he'll get to be the true number one workhorse guy. You could maybe make himself some money if any running back can still do that at this point. <laughs> and if he's able to have a good and healthy year this year. But uh, for Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley Dalton, it is a lot more complicated. There are reports from Ian Rappaport that Saquon turned down three pretty legitimate offers from the Giants that would have put him right around the top paid running back as far as guarantee, it guarantees and all that structure goes. We don't have an exact number. So just go look at the Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara contract and just probably ballpark somewhere in there. Um, Don't know about length or anything like that. Um, And then Josh Jacobs, we haven't really heard any details other than both he and Saquon are going to be holding out this summer. We don't know when they're going to be back and we don't know if it's going to extend into the regular season. I guess Dalton kind of your takeaway with all of this and just, just vibe check. How concerned are you at this point? I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about both of them at this point. Uh, Saquon Barkley, the concern is it sounds like the Giants kind of offered him contracts within an acceptable range. Um, and he was offended by those and decided not to go with it. Mm-hmm. And then Josh Jacobs seemed to have thought that he was getting a contract, according to the reports that he was sitting in his car in the parking lot waiting to go in and sign it. Uh, And, I mean, both these franchises kind of need these guys if you're looking at a player who did help them win games last year. Well, the Giants especially. The Raiders, even though Devontae Adams is still there and, like, Jimmy Garoppolo is allegedly the quarterback, uh, they're kind of at a different point right now where if they just went 2-14, and 15 people would say, yeah. That that makes sense. But I agree with you just to be talking about the team needs these guys. Like both these guys were major engines uh, for their offenses last year and would be again this year if they're on the field. Yeah. Um, so I'm concerned both of them could hold out. It seems like overall the running backs in the NFL are pretty upset. And I do wonder if whether or not this is going to have some of the NFLPA officials stepping in, make some changes to the guidelines 
Yeah, I've but heard some people but, float but, that. But, but yeah, but what can you change? Well, I've seen some people float that running backs get a minimum from the NFLPA that adds their salaries per touches. Uh, if you listen to Joel Bentoni or the former center JC Treader, he was on a podcast recently and he said that the NFLPA had already talked about players taking a portion of their salaries allocated to an RB fund. So there have been a lot of like talks around making the RB position you know, somewhat viable again for players because after their rookie contracts, they are pretty much worthless. So I think that if LPA has looked at the issue, it's certainly something that's going to be interesting, but I would be concerned about both those players holding out in an attempt to make a point. So so explain to me just real quick, and then we'll get back to to this conversation. Explain to me how the money would work with, like with how the t- amount of touches would then get them a certain amount of money. Like how exactly does that work? The proposed. Well, the, as we know, the NFLPA is the union and every player pays into that union fund uh-huh. and there's taxes associated with that fund. And what JC Treader said on the podcast, I believe it was the uh, even money podcast with what's his name. I don't remember his name. Uh, Ross Tucker. And then it would be a segment of their salary be associated with total rushing touches. And I think they were saying it was like, $2,000 per touch or something would result. And then as you go up the, the line, you get more money. And that was what JC Treader said was one of the NFL PA proposed options for increasing RB pay. My, my question, I, that would only, that would only help them on their rookie scale deal though. Right? Like that would, th- what incentive would a team have? Like wh- how does that help them that, get resigned past their rookie deal? More of like a committee then. Well, a committee no, 100% does, or or it could just promote teams to get rid of these guys sooner <laughs> than they already are. I, yes, just, I don't. I, I just I'm struggling to really see a solution because at the end of the day, the problem isn't that running backs are being blackballed, which I know it's not what you're saying, but like the way that uh, the conversation is kind of going is like you would kind of think that it's like oh the position's being blackballed. It's like no, it just actually the issue is it really doesn't lead to winning and teams are paying the positions that that do lead to winning and that's that's just how it goes yeah the other option i've saw floated around is that the franchise tag um for wide receiver tight end and running back all becomes one which would then make it a little more less profitable to franchise tag these running backs um but obviously and then it does make it more profitable to sign a first round running back where you at least get some money because that fifth year option suddenly becomes a little more profitable than franchise tagging a guy how about this? How about if you franchise tag a guy, it has to be for two years if you do it. And they like balloon the money even more to make it so that teams don't really want to franchise tag a guy. And if you're going to, you pay him more money and you pay him multiple years. Like the franchise, yeah. the franchise tag to me is the biggest con in, in professional sports. A hundred percent. But yeah, I don't see a way out of this for those guys. It does sound like they might want to hold out. To make well, what, what's scary is there is no way out. Either they forget about it and go play and try and make the money, or they just hold out, preserve themselves, and try again next year with every team bidding for their services. Which is going great with Alan Cook. Yeah. So, <laughs> th- like, there's not – you're, you're, you're just not – there's really no way to know. We're not going to know until we know on any of these things. But, obviously, something to – to keep an eye out with. And then Evan Ingram will jump right into the props uh, with this one. He resigns with Jacksonville. We've talked a lot about Jacksonville and their offense and their outlook with, uh, with 
Calvin Ridley in the fold, Trevor Lawrence, who took a big leap last year, back again this year, obviously, Christian Kirk back as well. So you've got Evan Ingram with his over-under listed at 640 and a half receiving yards. It is minus 110 for the over and the under. Dalton, which side are you on for this one? Uh, I'm taking the under, and this is in part the the increase in weapons on this team, and that just being Calvin Ridley, worries me a little bit about Evan Ingram hitting this over. He's only hit it twice in his career, once last year, and then once with the New York Giants, and I think it was by like two yards that second time. Um, so I'm not overly excited about seeing him hit it again. And then I know there's not a lot of hype around him, but Britton Strange was a second-round pick, and the – tight end room did get a little better behind Evan Ingram in this offense. I don't think it's going to take away significant snaps from him, but when you add Calvin Ridley, you still want to get Christian Kirk his targets. You have a full season of Travis Etienne in this offense. I'm not really seeing like where the yards are going to come from for Evan Ingram. And I, again, I think we've said this before. I don't know if he's that good of a player that I'm going to be betting on talent to hit this number, which is a high number for a a tight end anyways. Yep. Johnny, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with the over. I feel like since they gave him kind of a big contract, I think it was three-year, 40-something mil. I yep. feel like if they're three, gonna, three for 41. I feel like they're going to pay him that much. They want to get him involved in the offense. I know Kevin Ridley's there, but I, I think he had a great year last year, like a previous year, and I, I think he's just going to continue the momentum. Trevor Lawrence is going to ball out more and throw for a ton of yards, and I, I think he's going to hit the over. We do know about uh, Doug Peterson's history with getting tight ends involved, too. So there's definitely an argument both ways. I'm going to side with Dalton, though, and take the under on this one as well. I I think, you know, he's a great mismatch guy in this offense. You've got Ridley, you've got Kirk, and then you can have Ingram work against uh, advantageous coverages. I think he's going to be really good for fantasy, probably about as much so uh, as last year. But I think we could see less volume and fewer yards. And you mentioned Dalton, he barely hit this number last year. And more touchdowns. He only had four receiving touchdowns last year. There's definitely positive regression potential. So he could see overall volume go down, but then fantasy-wise be in a similar ballpark. And he did play all 17 last year and barely hit this number. So you've got potential for worse health. You have Calvin Ridley. And you've got him projected for, I think, right around his ceiling. So I just think the under is probably the more likely of of these two. Yeah, I agree. And who knows? Britain Strange? Are we getting strange this year? (laughs) I'm not feeling too strange yet. But that's up to you. All right, Bryce Young, uh, over under 3,400 and a half passing yards. The number one overall pick. Uh, minus 115 for the over and the under. I'll start first on this one. I'm taking the over uh, for Bryce Young here. 16 rookie quarterbacks have hit this number in the last, uh, I think it was like last 18 years, or maybe it was all time. Now I'm forgetting. But most of them were in the last 20 years, uh, obviously, with more passing. Uh, Baker Mayfield, Brandon Whedon, Sam Bradford were guys on that list. So Bryce Young doesn't have to be a great player to hit this number as a rookie. Um, he may have one of the worst receiving groups in the NFL, Dalton. You might be talking about that later. So that that will definitely hurt. But I just think that, that Frank Reich is going to maximize this group. He's got a good offensive line. It, you at least th- feel okay about Miles Sanders as his running back. And I, I do like Bryce Young a lot. And even though he may have a bit of an adjustment period and he can't hold the ball as long and try and play hero ball as much in the NFL – 
I think he's going to be a really good player. I think he's a very polished passer that can kind of translate right away. I think that 3,800 to 4,000 range is a realistic one for him. That would put him top six all time. Well, he was number one pick, so it would be reasonable. I mean, Josh Rosen was number one pick. He was he, he, he was not the number one. Oh, number you're correct. Pick, um, if you can't tell, I am taking the under on this one. Uh, I think 3,400 is a lot of yards. I mean, you even mentioned Baker Mayfield, but Baker Mayfield's rookie season was actually like pretty impressive uh, behind a very good offensive line. But I think with the weapons he has in this offense, a lot of the work is going to result in him doing it by himself. I also think he's underrated with his mobility and he might have more scrambling than other guys. And then I think Frank Reich is a pretty big fan of a balanced attack. If you look back at his Indianapolis Colts teams, they ran on a 60-40 split, which would have been under the NFL passing average. So I think all in all, these teams are this team's going to be balanced. They're probably going to be an all right team that comes out to play, but I don't think that, that they're going to be throwing it enough for him to hit that passing over. And no one's going to help him get there on that team. You know, he only has to average 200 yards per game. Johnny, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with the under because the Panthers stink. Are we sure? Are we sure about that? You sure about that? I had to get, I'm, I had to get that go, drop made I'm for this podcast. Are you sure about that? <laughs> I'm going to go with the under. That's a, that's a real slop if I've ever, if I've ever heard, heard, heard slop. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Panther, Panthers might just make the playoffs out of that division. Well, that's not saying a lot. I know. <laughs> that division it's stinks. Not. It's not. Yeah, he gets to play that division six times this year, so that helps. All right. Uh, Tony Pollard, who we talked about earlier, his over-under, 1,050 and a half rushing yards, plus 100 on the over, minus 120 on the under. Vegas is fading Tony Pollard. Dalton, are you? Uh, no, I'm not. First of all, I was surprised Knew it. that he didn't hit this last year. I thought he would have. He didn't. Um, but he hit 1,009 yards in a backup role last season in a lot of the games where he didn't receive more than 10 carries. 193 total was his carries for the season. Uh, when you look behind him on the depth chart, I don't think anybody's going to challenge him to, to hold the ball. He's explosive. He's behind a good offensive line. I mean, they're then, signing someone else, right? Like Zeke is they, I mean, back. Zeke I would expect them, but they haven't yet, and we are now in a training camp season. Uh, and then, I mean, just with what Mike McCarthy and Co. are saying, it does seem like they want to run the ball more, and that's still a top-five offensive line. And we'll see if Zach Martin holds out and what that does in the future. But I certainly think that him hitting this over is not something I'd be too worried about. I would like this line. Zach Martin's the guy who he's going to hold out, and he's probably going to get exactly what he wants, uh, unlike uh, unlike the running backs who who are trying the same opposite. They can't get it anyway now, but who who didn't get it at the time. You know, I'm taking the under. You mentioned it. He was a very slight under uh, in 16 games played last year. I know Zeke was there, and he was the starter. And, and Pollard got more carries after the first, like, four weeks last year. But I just think this kind of like with Evan Ingram is fairly close to his ceiling. You you project, at least I do with most running backs, especially when you do these lines, you project it like 14, 15 games, you project them to miss a little bit of time. And I just think there's been a lot of talk from Dallas that they've always liked limiting him to a certain amount of snaps. And I guess I'll be, and, and snaps has really been the key thing. I'll be curious what, what his touches are like this year. But I really am not sure he's going to get marketably more 
volume than he did last year. I mean, he'll get more, maybe 20, 20 carries more if he's healthy the whole season. But I don't know. I, I just, uh, in my opinion, would get him there. It would if he's healthy every game. I, I, I just, I, I'm betting on 14, 15 games and pretty similar volume. I think this is a slight under, but it's close. Like me personally, I, I wouldn't bet this. Yeah, I think part of it when I just looked at it, uh, he was 24th in the NFL last year in rush attempts. He had less than Jonathan Taylor, which was interesting because Jonathan Taylor played 11 games. Mm-hmm. So I just think there's but jo- but Jonathan Ta- but Jonathan Taylor is a guy that when he plays gets 20 plus yes. carries every game, and I don't think Pollard should be that if they want to keep him healthy. And I like I said, I do think Zeke will be back eventually. Johnny, what do you think? I like the over. I, I mean, just every single time he touched the ball, it just felt like he was just going to break loose of 20, yeah. 30 yards. But every single time I watched him touch the ball, it was it was insane. But I, I think with Zeke not being there to start for right now, I think he's just going to be a lead dog. And I, I think he's going to get the, the touches to hit the over here. Well, if, uh, if what the Cowboys are saying about running the ball is true, he might. But I think uh, me personally, I – I'm taking that storyline and quote and chalking that up to teams just talking. I, I'll believe that when I see it. But all right, Joe Mixon. So he talked about guys with news recently. I think since we last potted, he he took a pay cut of about four million dollars over the next two years. He is going to be in Cincy at least this year, probably next year at that number. His over under is eight twenty five and a half on the rushing yards. He has minus one ten both ways and i am taking the over on this one and i i like this line quite a bit um he may not be quite the same guy that he that he was two years ago but he almost hit that number in 14 games last season you can expect a similar number of games this season and remember how much that offense was struggling running the ball early in the season and just with their identity and running the ball and not telegraphing when they were going to run the ball early in the year last year. We talked about that plenty in the first month of last season. I think Orlando Brown's going to help their run game as a power blocker. And, you know, I think if Mixon plays 14 to 15 games, he's going to be closer to a thousand yards than he is uh, this number. And honestly, like I could see the receptions taking a little bit of a step back. He was a career high 75 targets and also a career high in receptions last year. Yeah. Um, I do think after looking at this, I'm taking Mixon down in my ranks from RB11. I am taking the over because I think the number is small enough that it's not going to be overly difficult for him to hit it. Uh, But it is pretty startling that on 210 attempts last year, he didn't hit this. And then Tony Mm -hmm. Pollard cleared this by 200 on 17 less carries. Yep. Uh, So I'm taking the over. I don't feel comfortable about it. It's good to know that he's playing. I think that the offense is probably going to rely on him a little more without Samaj P. Ryan behind him are a bunch of players, Trey Ben Williams and Chase Brown. I I Evans. still I still really think they should sign a backup running back, but I don't know if they're going to. So that that yeah. definitely helps if they don't. Yes. Um, and with all of that said, I mean you're taking the over because I think the volume's gonna be there and he just has to rip off a couple of runs. But it does look like, especially a lot of his advanced, like rushing efficiency numbers, I think he is starting to get worse. And it, yep. his age is definitely hitting him. Yep, I talked about that but a couple weeks ago. But I do like this number. Johnny, what do you think? Yeah, I, I like the number two. It felt a little uh, baity by Vegas to have yeah. it at 825. But I, I like the over here. So I'm sure Vegas won't win here. 
Yeah. Uh, well, this is the first one we all agree on today, so this will probably be an under. <laughs> all right, last one, and then we can go to the training camp storylines. Amon Ra St. Brown, uh, speaking of Beatty, over under 999 and a half receiving yards. He cleared this by about 160 last season, and he even missed a game and played a couple games a little bit banged up early in the season as well. Minus 120 on the over, plus 100 on the under. So they're thinking he's going to hit it, but minus 120 is still not bad. Uh, Dalton, what do you think about this number? This is the I, this is bait, right? Like, <laughs> I saw this, and I thought you were wrong, and I looked it up. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking the over, obviously. this. I mean, they've done nothing to add playmakers to this offense. They're waiting for Jameson Williams' return. But even then, for the first half of the season, TJ Hawkinson was competing for targets with Almiron State Brown, who makes his work over the middle. I was going to say, can... and competing with him in the same space, whereas yeah. Jamison will will not be. the If if Jamison comes back, like the theoretical Jamison Williams that lives in our mind fits very well with Amon Ross St. Brown. Yes, it's like Schrodinger's cat, but it's will Jamison Williams play football. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm taking the over. I mean, he could very likely compete to lead the NFL in targets. Uh, he would have done it last season had he been healthy all season. Yeah. So I just don't know how you get this number so low. This is one that I, I probably go to bet with my own real money and would advise others to do. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, if we know one thing about Jared Goff is that he will throw it in the short and intermediate uh, area when that guy is open. And Amra St. Brown uh, occupies that area and he is often open. So I like this number. I like the over. You said it. Even when Jamison comes back, I think the field stretching – while it could take away a little bit of volume, could help him be more efficient. So it might be a wash. We don't really know, but I'll anticipate that being a problem for him down the stretch. I like this number a lot too. I may have, I don't remember. I may have actually bet this before the podcast this week, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty in on this. There's no way this backfires. (laughs) I I like the over as well. I, he, he just looked so good last year as a rookie and Second year, he was two two years ago as a rookie, but he almost hit this number as a rookie. He almost yeah. hit this number as a rookie too. Just golf. I think one game he had like eighteen targets. So like, <laughs> you know he's I believe he it's this guy. So like I I, I think the targets are going to be there this year, and I I'm pretty confident the the over will hit here. Yeah. Uh. So looking forward to Auburn Ross St. Brown, Joe Mixon <laughs> just cratering this year. Uh, love that. Love that for us. All right, Dalton, let's get into the training camp storylines on that note. Like I said, Dalton's got NFC. I've got AFC. Do you want to have one of us go through all of our storylines and then go to the other? Or do you want to alternate? How do you want to format this? I think we just go east to west. I don't really know what east to west means in this. We start in the east, then we go south, northwest. (laughs) You're really making me think a lot more about about John. This would be easier if this were more like the NBA where teams were at least somewhat like geograph, like the giants are in the AFC and so are the jets. Like you're going to really make me try and like differentiate those. Well, the giants are in the NFC, but yes, that's why I said giants are in the NFC and jets in the AFC. Oh yes. So we'll start in the East, which would be the okay. NFC East. Sure. If you have the NFC East one, go for it. Cause I, I don't know. Well, I went with the Washington football team as the team I'm watching, and the storyline to watch is what running back emerges from this team. They really want it to be Brian Robinson still. 
they really wanted to be Brad Robinson, which you're correct. They were the second run heaviest team in the NFL last year. Um, and Brad Robinson, ha- I mean, the game they won against the Eagles, I think he had 26 carries and 80 yards, which is not very efficient. From an underlying efficiency perspective, we'll start off with Brian Robinson because he has the second highest ADP on underdog. He was 28th out of 45 qualified running backs in rush efficiency, but then he was 42nd out of 52 qualified running backs in forced missed tackle rate. He also had the 16th lowest uh, third down percentage of any running back who qualified that had at least 150 snaps. Uh, so not good from playing third down. He's not going to be a guy catching passes. Uh, and then his ADP right now in underdog is RB 37. Uh, Antonio Gibson is ahead of him at RB 32. And then you have Chris Rodriguez at RB 90. So you can really get any of these guys for free however you want. I'm going to watch who's coming out of this battle. There's already been some murmurs that Antonio Gibson is going to play wide receiver. Uh, I don't know how. We're Which getting- like, you know. You have Jahan Dotson, you have Terry McLaurin, you have Curtis Samuel. Like, are you playing him over Curtis Samuel? Probably not. Like, I, I don't know. The the Antonio Gibson arc has been just one of the strangest. And I was hoping that with the enemy there, that maybe he would just kind of shove Ron Rivera out the door and take a little bit of little bit more control of that running back room and maybe he is and he just loves brian robinson too because robinson is kind he kind of fits in that jamal williams mold of coaches love this guy because he's a grinder he does what what they ask he's gonna get the yards that are blocked run between the tackles well all that i mean this is a guy that led the nfc in rushing attempts in the final five games of the regular season last year i've got a tweet from from somebody his name's ray g i don't know it's full day but he's in the He's a fantasy guy. He tweeted, Brian Robinson is the bell cow RB. Absolutely nobody wants, but Washington is hell-bent on giving us. And that is kind of the the give and take that we're going to be watching over this next month. Yeah. Um, I don't think Brad Robinson's bad. I don't think he's great, at least from what he did last offseason. I think Eric Bieniemy brings a very interesting part to this offense and could make it a little more efficient. And then Ron Rivera has been a coach who's always wanted to run two running backs out there. So I'm waiting to see who solidifies themselves in that second role, because for whatever reason, like you said, it looks like Antonio Gibson isn't going to be there. If it is Chris Rodriguez, there have been linked uh, cream hunt for the Washington football team. If I have those guys come in there, I'm probably taking them before Brad Robinson, especially in PPR and half PPR leagues, because I don't think that he's going to be a great pass catcher. He hasn't really shown that he didn't show that in college. Um, so all in all, like the storyline for me to watch here is who emerges in that RB2 role. And then I'm probably going to target them or watch week one, and they'll probably be a, a waiver wire favorite of mine. So the RB2 role, like on, on this team, you mean? Yes. So so you're already cementing Brian Robinson as the RB1. On yeah, I don't, I don't really see a world where he's not. I mean, may, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but it looks like they really want him to be that role. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll start with my team furthest on the East because that is what we're doing here apparently, and that is the Buffalo Bills, and that is Dalton Kincaid. Um, You know, we care about this guy a lot, and that is because he was a great college football prospect, a great pass catcher, and he's gone to a one of the best five offenses in the NFL and one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. 
for people who aren't as familiar with the prospect profile here, his last two years in college, he was 1,400 receiving yards and 16 touchdowns in those two years, which in college, he's playing less games. That That's a lot of yards and touchdowns, especially for a tight end in, in college. Last year, he had the game against USC that we've referenced often, 16 receptions, 234 yards, one touchdown, and one massive win for Utah in that game. And, you know, Waldman, Matt Waldman talked about this recently on, on his podcast, and I thought it was interesting that when the Bills first drafted him, they they talked a lot about him as this dynamic weapon who can move all around and cause matchup problems. Then they kind of eased off of that a little bit and put out some messaging basically saying we don't really know how we're going to use him yet. We're still figuring that out, kind of trying to, to tamper down the hype a little bit, um, maybe a little bit afraid that we could have a James Cook 2.0 where they say all these things and then that guy is just not that guy and they look a little bit dumb and it makes the player look bad when he doesn't live up to that. But now, now that he's been in the building for longer, he's been building chemistry with Josh Allen a little bit more, they're kind of moving back to that talking point of this guy's a matchup problem. He's going to be, you know, basically they're between the lines telling us he's going to be on the field, going to be a matchup problem. And I think, you know, Waldman said this and I agree that reading between the lines, just this kind of seems like he's been everything that they hoped for so far. And I'm just really interested to see how they talk about him and how they talk about, his, the other weapons around him digs in a tier of his own, assuming he's there. And then you have all those other guys like what's the Gabe Davis conversation like heading into this year after a disappointing year last year, are they talking about playing two tight ends with Dawson Knox a lot, which if they are, that's great for, well, for both guys, but for, especially for Kincaid, because that means he has that, that slot role probably locked down that everybody is kind of projecting him for. Right now, I mean, the the expectation uh, for him around the team is pretty sky high right now. I mean, I I read a a Bills beat writer yesterday who projected him to to break their franchise record receiving yards for a tight end in year one. Um, Not not like as a rookie, but it's the franchise record. But for him to do that in year one, it's 726. So it's not like that crazy. And he could definitely do that. But obviously, you're looking for anything negative to come out that that always tells you a lot. And I really just want to to see how Dawson Knox is, is talked a lot about too. Is there a lot of, well, Dawson Knox might still be, might kind of be the tight end one earlier in the season, or do we get fed more of the two tight end thing? I, and Knox as maybe more of a blocker. I, I think there's a lot of interesting subplots that feed into the, the Kincaid thing as a whole for the bills. Well, another one is he didn't practice for the combine. He didn't run any of the combine yep. because of lower body soft tissue injuries. And I think it, know, I think it was a back injury. He had a back injury in college. Yeah, and as we know, those things can kind of follow through. So if he's showing up and practicing right away, that's yep. going to be encouraging as well. Um, but yeah, if he's running with the ones or if he's running with the twos, uh, what what he's doing at practice, I think those are all important. And then whether or not they're even putting him in blocking drills, I think if yep. he shows up and he's not even running any blocking drills he's running with the wide receiver unit you really know that like the hype around him and what they're saying is what he's going to be doing because i would be surprised if they said his his, his adp if that if that happens if we get news like 
Dalton Kincaid not even working on blocking, not even a thought as a blocker for the Bills. His ADP is going to go up, up, up if that happens. Yes. And uh, I'm not like even you, saying it's necessarily correct to skyrocket that much off of that, but that's what's going to happen. But this could very much be a they need a wide receiver too, and he could be their wide receiver too situation. Yeah. And I think like he, it's not, it's a, it's that for sure. And it's also he has the ability to, to do it too. It's not, it's not just a Gabe Davis. Well, he's the best of the rest. Like, no, like he legitimately can be a matchup problem at like 6'4", 240 pounds, I think is what he is, somewhere in that range. And quick, good route runner, high point the ball, all that stuff. Uh, I'm not going to go like with the baby Kelsey like some people are going with, but he's at least in that mold as a tight end, closer to that type of player than the, than like a George Kittle where he's more of a blocker. So, yeah, he'll be an interesting one to follow. What What's your second NFC storyline? Uh, we're staying – in the NFC South and a team that you loved earlier, and we are going with the Panthers. So right now the Panthers ADP on underdog, Adam Thielen is wide receiver 64. Jonathan Mingo is wide receiver 63. DJ Chark is- He's got a family, he's relocated. I'm starting to add personal details to this. I just, every every time we mention Chark, I have to, I have to do that. All right, say what Chark's ADP was, I cut you off with that. He's 68. Terrace Marshall is 87, and I could not find one for LaVisca Chenault, so it's uh, out of the <laughs> 100s. Unfortunately, they killed our boy. Um, if you look, last year only one team didn't have a wide receiver who would have beat this ADP. He's and wide receiver 108 on Fantasy Pros. That's disgusting. Um, so the Bears last year would have been the only team in the NFL to not have one player on their team beat any of these ADPs and Darnell Mooney was wide receiver 75 despite missing eight games. So they certain even the bears would have had a player hit this. So there's going to be value somewhere on this team. Somebody is going to hit above their ADP and they're probably going to hit relatively big. Like one of these guys could hit the fifties or even like into the low forties and still be like a good wide receiver four that you're getting in round 16 or 17 of mm-hmm. your fantasy drafts. So I'm going to be watching that battle You know, it starts at the top. Is Jonathan Mingo even getting to run with the ones? How are they utilizing him? Who's playing what? There's not a player on this team who solidifies themselves as a slot player. I wouldn't look because I thought maybe at age Adam Thielen would be well at that. But with the Minnesota Vikings, this is from ESPN Stats and Statistics, he played 12% of the slot snaps over the course of his career. So really, I I was going to say, I I wouldn't be shocked uh, just based off last year because Jefferson moves around and then Osborne is strictly slot. But for his career, yeah. I mean, there's been digs. There, there's been other times where he could have been the slot more. Yeah, than, than so Richard. unless he makes a change in how his role is played, he's not going to have that role, and that's going to be a really valuable one. Uh, Terrace Marshall, uh, fun stat. He was top 10 in the NFL last year in uh, points per target. Uh, he had 55 targets, so there's a reason for that. Um, it is very low threshold to get him in there. But he's a guy who's definitely had some exciting nights. I can think of the Thursday night football game last year where he he looked better. Um, Jonathan Mingo's exciting. And then DJ Chark with the Lions last year had a few productive games. So I want to see what the camp storyline coming out of this is. Uh, I know it's not fun to read the beat reports because they hype everybody up. But you can't hype all five wide receivers up on this team. And as you can tell with their ADPs being so close – it's a grab bag already. So whoever the beat reporters are talking the most, 
like graciously about is probably the guy that I'll be willing to take late in my rounds of going into week one to see how they utilize them on the field. I mean, what's going to happen is we're, we're going to get the Adam Thielen and Bryce Young have a great connection because it would make sense because Adam Thielen of those guys is probably maybe not at this point, the best route runner of those guys because he's probably lost a step, but the most refined of those guys, probably the smartest player, the most consistent, most consistent. So I, I think you're probably going to see a lot of that. Now, how excitable I'd be about that. I don't know. I think obviously the storyline that would excite me and everybody the most is if Mingo is really blowing people away and he looks good and is a legitimate guy that they can't keep off the field. And, and yeah. Him. I think that would be the most exciting, but again, um, four, three, four years ago, DJ Chark had a top 12 season with Gardner Minshew. So like yeah. it's there. Um, and then, it is. We've had uh, a lot. A lot of guys have had top twelve seasons since DJ Shark has had one. Lavisca Schnault's still around. <laughs> he is. He's lurking. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he's doing, but he's lurking. He's there. Yeah, but I want to see who comes out of this, um, and then I want to see who's who's playing what positions because they don't really have a good slot player right now. Mm-hmm. So from one rookie quarterbacks team to another, and the Colts and Anthony Richardson for me, I think Richardson is. Outside of following the injury stuff, which I decide not to go down that route. Obviously, you've got Brees Hall, you've got Javante Williams, you've got all, all those kind of guys. We all know that. Outside of following that stuff and the holdout stuff, I think Anthony Richardson might be one of the most important storylines heading in the training camp and ahead of this season. Because, you know, number one, just he himself, if he does impress enough to be the week one starter, which I don't know if you guys heard Jim Ursay talk the other day, doesn't sound like a guarantee. It was kind of like a, well, Gardner can play. He can start. Obviously, they're going to play Richardson this year. That was very clear. But he kind of snuck in a, eh, it's a coach's decision when it happens at the end. So a little unclear right now if Richardson's going to be the week one starter or not. And obviously, if he's not, that has to um, affect where I have him ranked, where you have him ranked, because we're both fairly bullish. Uh, top I think I have him 16 you might have him around there maybe a little bit higher so that's first and foremost is he playing well enough to earn the week one starting job but then if he is the week one starter or even if he's you know the week four starter or whatever how is the passing coming along is the passing going to be a problem this year or is he grasping the playbook are they able to throw more at him is he does he have a good connection with those receivers because I mean they have a lot of guys that we care about on, on this team, Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, like even Josh Downs is a nice sleeper uh, slot receiver at the end of drafts this year, if the situation is right. And then you look at the running back opposite, Jonathan Taylor is a first round pick at worst, an early second round pick in your draft, I would think. Uh, so I, I just think there, there are a lot of guys that Richardson needs to be able to sustain. And I'm going to be watching like I'm probably going to be, and I don't do this very often, but I'm going to be living and dying with every report on him every day. How does the passing look? I don't necessarily need to hear like the stats from training camp, but I just want to hear that everything is going smoothly and that he's picking up the passing well, because, you know, we know that we, we both thought here that the completion percentage concerns were overblown, but at the same time, it's not like we expect him to transition seamlessly as a passer. So how good can the passing be year one for Richardson is a big deal. And it's a big deal to get him on the field as early as possible too. Uh pull this stat from the fantasy footballers 
over the last 20 years, every rookie quarterback with 80 or more total rushing attempts was a top 10 fantasy quarterback in points per game. So you get him on the field. He runs as much as we think he probably will. He has a great, great chance. History tells us a hundred percent chance <laughs> in the last 20 years of outperforming, even where we have him ranked. So I think this is a big time swing player uh, for his own rank, but then also all of these other guys on this offense. Yeah. And that's, barely five rushes a game which isn't hard to get to when you just add scrambles in i think it is huge i do think like a bit of what jim ursay said is a little bit of gm speak and covering his own butt I th- it looks like shane steichen wants to start anthony richardson out the gate he is probably more fitting to the offense steichen ran in philly not to say that jalen hurts much not the same player or that richardson's as good as jalen hurts but He's definitely a much better rushing quarterback than Gardner Minshew. Yes. <laughs> and it just really, I mean, I, I understand that you have to watch camp storylines to see if he's going to be playing it. It's very important. But from like an organizational perspective, it makes no sense not to put the guy out there and see what you got. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And then if he's hitting like those short intermediate passes, we didn't get to see at Florida. That would be incredibly exciting and profitable for his value. Like, like the, the first time we get a – He's really seeing the field well today. He made made all the reads. All that'll be a big time fist bump for me when I see that yeah. alert come through. Yeah, so definitely huge. And then it'll, it'll be exciting to see what they're talking about. What kind of offense they're running? Is it RPO okay. heavy? Because um, Jonathan Taylor looks like a screaming value if they're doing that. And RPOs are big on first look receivers. If that's Michael Pittman, he could be a profitable. He's like wide receiver 33 right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it all hinges on hit Richardson. And then if it's Gardner Minshew, I mean, all those wide receivers probably get a bump because people expect more passing. Yep, yep, very fair. All right, who's your third? Uh, we are going to the fun, fun NFC North and the Green Bay Packers and the guy that all the eyes are on in Jordan Love. Uh, this is a player that I think camp reports are going to be incredibly important for. There's nobody on this roster is going to play above him. I don't even know who their quarterback to is. I didn't look it up for this because I don't think that they'll be playing. Um, but Jordan Love got his fifth-year option declined and signed a fifth-year option for less money, which means one of two things. The Packers think he sucks, and Jordan Love thinks he sucks because he took the contract for less and didn't sign somewhere else in the most QB-friendly market we could find, or that he thinks he's good enough that he can win it on a prove-it deal. This is a player who spent four years in this offensive system on this team, and if the camp reports are he's missing reads, he's not appropriately sliding protections, very simple things, I'm going to be really worried for Jordan Love. And then you look at the ADPs of guys around him. Christian Watson's all the way up to wide receiver 21. Wow. And if Jordan, yeah, if Jordan Love can't handle an offense effectively, he's going to tank Christian Watson's value, who was propped up on a very high TD rate, which you can have with an MVP caliber quarterback, mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers. Well, and Jordan Love was the number one reason why Aaron Jones was on my guys I'm afraid I'm wrong about uh, yeah. segment last week. And then this one scratches my head. Romeo Dubs is going as wide receiver 55 right now. He finished the season, granted 13 games, as wide receiver 72. His points per game puts him at wide receiver 61. He loses Aaron Rodgers, yep. and he is now going higher in drafts. And then they drafted Jaden Reed, who's going well, wide receiver we're, 70. We're, we're getting some some positive Romeo Dubs buzz early and in, in offseason stuff these last couple of weeks, so maybe that's contributing to it. Yeah. 
Um, but I think it's critically important that we read what these beat reporters are saying. These are guys also who spent probably the majority of their career, 20 years, watching Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. So they know what good quarterback play looks like at training camp. And if they're berating Jordan Love in their reports, uh, and we've seen what he is on the NFL field, which isn't very good, it's going to lead to a lot of confirmation bias. And I'm probably going to fade every Packer at cost, except for maybe A.J. Dillon at that point. Well, and I'm also curious what what the word is on their offense just as a whole coming out of camp. Uh, as far as, you know, last year it was a lot of, well, these two running backs are our two best players besides Aaron Rodgers on offense, so we got to get them the ball any way possible. And that didn't really materialize, and that obviously was a big-time red flag in retrospect, and we even knew at the time, too, telling us that the receivers were bad. So I'll, I'll yes. be curious to see how – how the Packers try and morph this offense around Jordan Love, what kind of language we we hear um, about all of that and how he's picking up the playbook. It should be well because, he's, like you said, he's been there for four years, but it's a different deal being there and, and being the guy actually doing it every day, obviously. Yeah, so I'll be really interested how that goes, and it's probably going to go poorly. <laughs> Hopefully not for the sake of a lot of guys there, but there there's at least a very strong chance. Um, from a situation that could go poorly to one that I think will go well, almost no matter what, barring injury, but we just have to find out who it's going to go well for. And that is the Chiefs, and that is their wide receiver room. It's kind of like last year, but to an even bigger extent, that this training camp is really, again, going to be about trying to find the right guy and the right values in this receiver room. Because Patrick Mahomes doesn't have a receiver in the top, I believe, 36 of of ADP. And it may be even slightly lower than that. I don't know where Tony is at this exact moment. But you have Tony, you have MVS, you have Sky Moore. It's going to be probably one of those three guys. I, I think we, we, get, we got a little bit of a positive uh, report on Rasheed Rice to end practice today. They caught a touchdown, looked great doing it. Blah, blah, blah. It was from the backup quarterback, so you can take that for what's will and for what it is. And also, it sounds like he is not quite in the NFL shape. Reed had a quote about it last month, and he was nauseous and throwing up a practice today. And Reed basically said last month, you know, we run those guys hard. He's got to get in shape, and he's not quite there yet. So you would expect Rice is probably a candidate for the Andy Reed redshirt here at receiver. So of these three guys, like, I don't think there's much we could really hear that's going to change my opinion on MVS about MVS. Now, if we start hearing very negative things about Tony and or Sky Moore, then that would probably lead me to, to raise MVS a little bit in the ranks. But we haven't heard that yet, so I don't think we're going to. I mean, the number one thing that everybody's watching here is Kadarius Tony. How is he lining up? Is he being treated like a pure number one? Or is he running the, the big boy stuff, the number one receiver stuff? Is he doing that? And also lining up in the backfield, taking jet sweeps, doing all of the kind of McCole Hardman and then obviously the, the Tyree Kill type of stuff in this offense too. Or is Sky is Moore he practicing? Yeah, is, is he healthy? That's obviously a big one too. I'd also uh, would prefer if he would like just kind of chill out with like the Giants fans, like stop being so, so much Kadarius Tony and just, you know, just, just kind of just chill. I, I'd prefer that to, to be a storyline that goes away as well. And, and then obviously 
just does he have a full grasp of the playbook? I think that was a big reason why the snaps were low and expectedly so at the end of last season was because the playbook, it just takes time. So how is that transition going for him? And basically, can he be a number one instead of a gadget guy? That's the number one thing I'm looking at. And then to a lesser extent, I want to hear exactly what we've heard so far about Sky Moore. Like we've heard the the slot targets are get are are vacated. You know, there's like 1,900 yards the Chiefs gained in the slot last year. Juju was a big reason for that. The Chiefs, I believe, are number two in the NFL in most receiver targets lost at 135 per ESPN. So there is volume for both these guys, and especially for Sky on the inside to be had. And so far, uh, the reports from the team and from beat writers have been good on Sky Morris. So I just want to continue to see that stuff, frankly. And I, I think that if we keep getting a drumbeat that is positive like this for Sky, like, and this is not going to be a knock on Tony, but I could easily see myself elevating Sky closer to Tony, and I already have him closer than most people do. Yeah. Oh, well, and I agree with you in part because the slot position is going to be really helpful on this team. Obviously, this team sees a lot of zones because of the offense they run. And obviously, two years ago, they needed a zone beater. Juju did that last year, and Juju was wide receiver 27 despite not missing any games but playing significantly less. Than well, he, no, he, he missed a couple games. He had the concussion. I think he missed a week or two. Uh, I'm looking at his game log. He had a percent of snaps in every game. Well, he got he got a concussion like on the first drive of the Jacksonville game. So maybe yeah, it was his lowest snap percentage was 38% the Jacksonville game. Then we had Oh, you're right. He missed the Chargers game, sorry. Okay. And then he played 38% against the Rams. So he um, he got so he he missed almost the whole game, then missed the game and then got severely eased back into his yes. first game back. So you could kind of ballpark that at about a game and a half, two games missed, mm-hmm. give or take. So he missed As, a couple games and was still top 30. And he also yeah. was being slowed down by a knee injury to end the season. Correct. Um, so any of these guys getting that role full time is immediately going to be ADP. I mean, you, like you said, Tony's the highest. I think Sky Moore's in the 50s right now on underdog. Mm-hmm. So he's certainly a screaming value at that. Uh, this Andy Reid playbook takes time to learn. We've learned that with every player who's come into it. Uh, I still have concerns about Sky Moore, mostly because there were a few times last year he just ran the wrong route, which you never like to see. Um, but then the concerns with Katerius Tony are equal in that he can't stay on the field mm-hmm. and that he's definitely a problem off the field when it comes to his personality. Uh, I don't think Rasheed Rice is it either because it does take a year to get there. But out of everybody, I think the, the best value in fantasy football right now is definitely Sky Moore because it looks like he might have won that slot role. Yeah, well, and like if, if we start getting some Richie James hype or, or something like that, I might kind of raise my eyebrow and, and be like, hmm, okay, I wonder what that means, like how they're feeling about the other guys there. But yeah, obviously we all know how valuable that Chiefs situation is. And those two guys, they, they, they didn't get Hopkins, so it seems like it's going to be those two guys are, are going to be trusted as the the two and the three behind Kelsey at, at the one, obviously. Dalton, who, who's your fourth team? Uh, we are heading out to the NFC West, and it's it's looking at the running back fight for RB1 in Seattle between Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet. I, I, I know we've written it up as Ken Walker's role, and I think that it's pretty safe to assume he's the 1A right now, but I want to see the B camp reports on Zach Charbonnet. Like we've said, 
you got to try and decode Pete Carroll talk for about the 12th year in a row unsuccessfully? Uh, well, before Russell Wilson, that was the problem. You just got to <laughs> it, it, it's, it's addition by subtraction right now. Uh, and Ken Walker last year, for what it's worth, was not a consistent running back. And I think that's something that Pete Carroll really values in his offense. Chris Carson for multiple years. And before that, Marshawn Lynch. Uh, different calibers of players, but both of them are very consistent in what they did. But if you look at the numbers for Ken Walker, he had a 32% rushing success rate inside the tackles. That's not great. Zach Charbonnet's final season at UCLA, he ran almost exclusively between the tackles and he was top four in the nation in yards gained. So he's a guy who does the small things right. He's a very good pass blocker, which Ken Walker last year ranked 44 out of 48 qualifying running backs in pass block rate. Not something you want to see. And then Ken Walker had 100% of his team snaps within the five, but he still only turned that into three touchdowns. Those are things that you want to do better as a running back, and Ken Walker certainly has the ability to improve on them. One area I think Charbonnet has a beat right now is receiving, which is going to hurt the, the bottom line of Ken Walker. But I want to see what the reporters are saying out of camp. You know, what do they think of Charbonnet? Has he picked up the playbook? Is he playing well? Is he establishing himself? And if those things are happening, I'm probably going to dock Ken Walker a little more because I think he's a very boomer bust back. And those busts can lead to less playing time for him if he's playing poorly at a game. And Charbonnet can come in and just get them the four yards they want, but he may not be the guy who's going to hit an 80-yard run for them. Well, what's scary is um... – Everything that Charbonnet is good at that you outlined, that's kind of everything that Pete Carroll likes his running backs to be good at, just like based on the Chris Carson mold, obviously Marshawn Lynch, kind of a a different beast, no pun intended with the nickname there. But um, with Chris Carson, you love him so much because he could be between the tackles guy and be reliable in all of those areas. So, yeah, that makes you worry for Walker and interested in how how Charbonnet is being talked about by beat writers and – and by coaches not named Pete Carroll over mm-hmm. there as well. Like, it's funny. We've kind of said that Charbonnet is just better Brian Robinson. Um, I don't want to make the Kenneth Walker, Antonio Gibson comp. I think Walker's better. But, like, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world if uh, Brian, better Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson to this backfield a little bit. And yeah. and and he became the the 60 to the 40. I, I don't I think Walker is too good. I don't think that should happen, but that doesn't mean it won't because I'm oftentimes, you know, at least a lot of times not correct about the workload of guys. So it's a, a scary situation and definitely one to watch from a Walker perspective. And for, for Charbonnet, it's just it's house money. Yeah, absolutely. And their ADPs right now are RB16 for Kid Walker and then RB33 for Charbonnet. So Charbonnet is definitely a much freer value. And if he, I mean, if he gets the goal line work or something, he's going to be a smash because I think I would already pencil him in for a good receiving role, especially with the departure of Travis Homer and DJ Dallas. Mm-hmm. All right, my fourth and final one, before I get to it, I'll just mention a couple of, I'll say honorable mentions because we've talked about it a lot or are going to keep talking about it, I think. I didn't want to beat the dead horse too much with these, but Ravens, who's going to be the wide receiver one? Is it going to be Bateman? Can he stay healthy? How does Zay Flowers look? Uh, how does Odell look? I think those that is 
the storylines with them. The Browns, we all know it's Deshaun Watson. We're all watching that. We don't need to talk about that one anymore. And then the Jaguars, Calvin Ridley, like we're all interested in that. Trevor Lawrence said he is awesome pretty much today. So we're all following that. We all know that. I went back to the AFC West for my last one with the Chargers. And really, it's how does or doesn't Kellen Moore transform this offense? And I, I think the answer is he's probably going to. You look at the Cowboys' pace of play since 2019. They were third, second, first, and fourth. Their points per game in that stretch are sixth, second, 13th, and first. And then I think the year they were second, that was a Dak injured year. So those were only from Dak games in, in, in that standing. That's uh, per fantasy footballers. Also, Dak's dot above eight all of those years. And Herbert has never been um above nine sorry herbert's been above eight twice down the 6.9 last year dak has been close to nine twice 8.7 8.5 and then above nine multiple times as well we should see a more up-tempo and aggressive offense with Kellen moore calling the plays and then you think about who the quarterback is per warren sharp herbert um on his downfield throws 30 yards or more uh, of quarterbacks with 30 or more attempts First in accuracy, second in EPA per attempt, third in success rate, completion rate, and touchdown rate, and fourth in yards per attempt. So I just really want to hear reports on, on what this offense looks like. Are are there big plays being dialed up? Is it going to look more like a big play offense? Who outside of Mike Williams is the big play guy that we're looking at down the field? Because like, are we going to be in a situation where if Mike Williams is not there, which he a lot of times isn't, are they going to have to revert back or is Quentin Johnston going to be ready enough that he can contribute and be a downfield threat in, in those areas. He has the profile to be, but we know that the contested catch stuff isn't great. He has to, to just straight up beat you on, on those routes to really do that in the NFL. And then just from a running game perspective, this was the second most unbalanced team in the NFL last year with a 65, 35 run pass split. How does a more balanced approach, which is what they're saying they want to do, how does that transform Eckler's role? Is it for the better? Is it for the worse? I would probably side on worse. And I'm also looking at, is there a second running back who can be a grinder on this team between the tackles that emerges? I think there's a lot up in the air and a lot of interesting things to follow with this offense and a ton of value to be had on, on this offense, frankly. Yeah, I mean, Kellen Moore led the NFL two years in a row in, in plays per game. And obviously, the more plays an offense has, the more likely they are to score fantasy points. Um, but in addition to that, Mike Williams, again, they haven't reported to camp yet, so we don't know yet. But he did break his back to end yeah. the season, um, being a little hyperbolic with that. But he, he literally didn't play in a playoff game because they let him play in a useless Week 17 game. That they also uh, lost. Yes. And if he – I mean, if he's not healthy, it's a – it's a big jump to say Quinton Johnson's going to replace him. Then again, you have Keaton Allen, who's in here in his age 33, 32 season. It's Maybe. early 30s at least. Yeah. yeah. He's definitely up there in age. So how those things adjust. And then, again, like you said, Kellen Moore is going to push the ball down the field more. Obviously, a higher A dot means less low A dot throws. Uh, Austin Eckler could be the prime loser when it comes to that. Uh, he, how are you going to – implement Quentin Johnson's offense. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and what are they saying about Eckler's role? Like, what do we yeah. hear about Eckler's role if there's fewer dump downs and, and more more down the field? Because they're obviously still going to get him involved. It just may look different. Well, and it sounds like he's going to show up to camp, but his tweets lately have been a little 
yeah. aggressive. He said the Chargers <laughs> wouldn't pay him more, but they were looking for high-profile picks for him, and he said that doesn't make sense, which, it I mean, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, is he going to show up to camp? He, I don't think he's going to hold out, but where does the situation go? Is How unhappy is he? Because that RV room behind him is atrocious. Yeah. What yeah. do you think? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it, it has been. <laughs> it has been for the, ever since Melvin Gordon left. There hasn't been a second guy that's truly emerged and been reliable on that team. Dalton, are there any other uh, storylines that you just want to toss out there real quick before we get out of here in the NFC? I mean, in the NFC West, a fun one I want to talk about was does Clayton Toon start for the Arizona Cardinals or <laughs> that's, Sam that, Bradford? That's very exciting. You're right. Uh, doesn't matter too much. Uh, going to the NFC South, I, I thought about talking about the Bucks and Baker Mayfield, uh, whether or not you know he comes out looking good. And then in the the NFC East, the last one I had was what the Giants are doing with their wide receiver room, because. And also, yeah. are the Giants signing anybody to replace Saquon? It's yes. going to be one to follow if Saquon keeps not reporting. Yeah, but with Jalen Hylett uh, reportedly running with the threes, uh, I mean, there's value to be had there because of how good their coaching is. And I was interested who it was, and then I wrote the names down and deleted it because I didn't want to talk about <laughs> any of those players. Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell is going to have a huge – he's on the Giants, right? That's where he went? He is on the Giants. He's going to have a huge – they were talking about him as a running up in the backfield. It's all making sense. The oh, Saquon no. holdout. <laughs> Paris Debo Campbell. That's right. And on that note, that's going to do it for episode 109 of the Half Point Per Podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Half Point Per Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Link to all of those things as always is in the show notes. Our show is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, all of that good stuff. We'll be back next week with what was a very fun show last year, the ranks debate between Dalton and I. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.